Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Uh, I guess this morning I've been wondering if you've had any of these sorts of moments in life. Uh, I've had one or two of them. But it's that moment when it's that, <laughs> that moment when you've been either angry or anxious about something and you're in a bit of a funk, in a bit of a mood of it, you're angry or anxious about something, and then you've got to go do something, put the kids to bed, you've got to do the washing, your favourite show comes on, and you sort of forget about it for about 15 minutes, half an hour, or whatever length of time it is, until that moment, have you ever had this moment? That moment where something subconscious breaks back into you, from your, it's almost like your soul speaking to you, and like you're right in the middle of watching Four Corners or something, and it says, hang on, you, you were supposed to be anxious. And if you noticed how your soul has this uh, amazing ability to bring that sense back into your life and it breaks. Anyone else had that experience? Yep. Not just me then. It's a human thing. It's a human thing. And um, why I, what I think is interesting and where I'm going with this this morning is that, is that it, look, it's this time of year, isn't it, where we're making... We're making resolutions for the new year. It's January. Some of you have been first week back at work. You're thinking about what all the resolutions are. And really, uh, it's, it's that time of year where I want to use the message this morning. And when we talk about searching, looking beneath the looking, I want to use that as an opportunity almost to break back into the consciousness of your soul. And instead of saying, hang on, shouldn't you be anxious about something? Uh, really, the question is, hang on, shouldn't you be happy about something? Shouldn't you be joyful about something? Shouldn't you be pleased about something? I mean, happiness and contentment, uh, when, we, when we think about it, really, really is like that. It's, it's elusive. It, it, it fades away from us so quickly that we almost forget that it's there. And then things happen in which the subconscious of the soul takes us back to that moment in which, in which we suddenly realise what it is. Now, why this is vitally important is because uh, we chase happiness or what we think will bring us happiness in so many different areas. We're, we're frantically looking in all sorts of places for happiness, right? It's, it, there's this appetite for happiness and contentment. Inevitably, we find ourselves consciously or subconsciously searching for it. And this is not just for Christians, by the way, everyone. Everyone's got this dynamic where they're thinking, look, if only I had, if only I drove, if only I wore, if only I knew, if only I won, then I'd be better about myself, I'd feel better about myself, then I would be happy, right? We, we, we chase these things, right? We look for these things. We're searching for these things. That's why this morning I'm asking, okay, we're looking, we all look, we all search, uh, but, but I want to take the next three weeks for us to consider well, what, what's, what's the looking beneath the looking? What, what, are we, what are we really searching for beneath all of this? Because I think culturally we've, we've got to get a grip on this. I mean, we, we, just get, we just get frantic with the way things are today in our society, right? Like back in my day, back in my day, the most uh, technological gaming system was an Atari. <laughs> Back in my day, I'm starting to sound like that already, aren't I, hun? Um, back in my day, you know, like, back in my day, you had to get up from the lounge to change the channel on the television, remember? That had a little knob on the television. No such thing as, as remotes back in, back in my day. Back in my day. Back in my day, movies, good movies were only on television about once or twice a month, right, on Channel 9, the feature film. You had to get your VHS out to record because it was a good, no streaming, you just record the whole lot. You know, the, the clincher was back in my day. Back in my day, if you wanted your favourite song, you had to pull out this thing called a tape recorder. 
and you had to sit down next to it and you had to listen to the entire of Richard Mercer and the love song dedications <laughs> in order to find that thing. And when you found it, you know, you would run in from the other room, you'd hit the record button, you would, you would record the thing uh, so you could play it back. And by the way, kids, if there's anyone under the age of 18 in the room this morning, if, if you wanted to listen to it again, you couldn't just skip back to the beginning. You had to do a thing called rewinding the tape. That took you like three minutes. You know, this day and age, like every, everything's instant, right? We download it, stream it, download it, work it through. You know, I almost scared the daylights out of my kids the other day when I revealed to them that popcorn actually started as kernels and it just didn't magically appear in that bag that goes into the microwave, you know? Like they think it's something out of Back to the Future. But you know what, you know what I mean, right? Like culturally, our, our culture is constantly pressing in on us and giving us every reason to go searching for the things that I don't think that you and I are really looking for. Right? Which had me wondering then, well, what is it the one thing that we're looking for? What is it that would truly make you happy? What would make you happy? Now, don't have to answer it now. I'm just sowing the seed. That's your homework, by the way, for the next three weeks. Work that out. <laughs> Frankly, if we, worked, if we worked that out, then um, Bono and you too wouldn't have a song to sing anymore. You know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. No, we found it at Northside. <laughs> What is it that makes you happy? For me, for me, I thought I knew what makes me happy. It was this thing, this glorious thing. There we go. Sony Walkman. You know, like that, 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 that to me epitomised joy and happiness in a way that I just couldn't describe as a six-year-old kid. You know, the year 1980, Christmas Day 1987, I will never forget. Like that's as close to heaven as I possibly could have come in that moment. A Sony Walkman with its little foamy earphones as well. Wired, by the way, wired phones, and a Michael Jackson bad tape. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't think life got any sweeter. I don't think life got any happier than in that moment than when I got all of that. Now, the question is, would, would I still, do I still feel that way about a Walkman? No, of course not. I think you've got your own versions of whatever this is for you. You, you've, you've got these things and you know them because they're what are called ageing what's, W-H-A-T. It's, 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 it's a thing, an ageing thing. And what I've discovered is that this, this doesn't get me excited anymore. And I've, I've also discovered that if an ageing what diminishes your sense of happiness and joy, then maybe you haven't really discovered true happiness and joy in the first place. We're searching for it. We're finding it. We're, we're frantic for it. Have you noticed with happiness and contentment, like if we're, if we're up, we're up, we're down, you know, we're, we're great. If we're down, we're down. Like it, it rips us all over the place. You know, happy for us. We look, we look like those flashy men at the football, at the rugby. You know, we're just flapping our arms in the air. We're, we're, un, we're unstable. We're, we're, we're rootless. And that is exactly the issue that Psalm chapter 1 gets into when it says, Blessed are those who don't, do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, firstly, the funny language, blessed are those, because there's a lot of words in there that's the very thing, particularly if you know, we have a number of people that are coming back to church for the first time, and, and you're, you're one of those people that's like, that, that's exactly the sort of words that I couldn't stand about Christianity. In fact, I got called a whole bunch of those sorts of words by Christians, and it's the whole reason why I left the church. Now, I don't like this version in the NIV as much as I do the old King James version, which I don't go too much. But it, it, King James simply says, blessed are those who do not walk in step. And instead of wicked, it translates it as ungodly. 
He walks, he walks in step with the ungodly. What it's fundamentally saying is happy, content are those who don't walk in the presence of people who are not anchored in God. It's not saying the ungodly life is a bad life or a debaucherous life or an evil life. It's saying it's, saying it's a life that's been untethered, ungrounded in God. And so Psalm 1 poses questions to you and I this morning to say, look, is it possible? Okay, if you're trying to work out what you're looking for, is it possible that the source of your frantic looking is the fact that there, there is a, a soul rootlessness about you? <laughs> that you think you're grounded, but you're not really grounded. And this, by the way, is the modern problem. And it, and it was epitomized by, I remember seeing a segment in uh, Q&A of, uh, of Peter Hitchens, who's the Christian brother of the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens. And uh, they, he, he was lamenting, uh, the moral decline of Great Britain, and he was, he was attributing that to the exodus of Christianity. And, and he said this in front of Hannah Rosen, who was the editor of The Atlantic in the USA as a special guest. And, and he said, what has rushed in in the collapse of Christianity in approximately 1914, get this, is now the religion of selfism. That's the religion that says, I'm my own boss over my own body and no one can tell me what to do with my body. Everything we do is okay, provided I'm not harming everyone else. And it sounds reasonable. To which Hannah Rosen interjections, she says, well, hang on, well, who gets to decide you know, who is correct and who is corrupt? In other words, can you hear what Hannah Rosen's saying? She's saying, who are you to assume that there is some ultimate law, there's some ultimate way of life, there's some ultimate truth, that there's some ultimate God? Because Hannah Rosen epitomizes our modern way of looking at life, which says quite reasonably, hey, look, it's my body, my choices, my things. It's not, it's not I'm being good to people, I'm not hurting anyone. What does it matter? To which I think the Bible says, as we see here from, from Psalm chapter 1, the, the, Bible says, the Bible says to that, look, that, that's fine. If you want that sort of life that, that is not grounded in in an ultimate truth or an ultimate law, if you want that life where you determine where you socialise, what you do, that's fine, but just understand the repercussions of that life. Because then it goes into verse 4 and says, uh, the ungodly are not so, the untethered, the, the rootless are not so, they are like chaff which the wind driveth, King James Version, away. <laughs> and so the psalm says the life of the ungodly or the rootless life is a life of chaff. And if you know what chaff is, chaff is, uh, is it's, it's the husky section of a head of wheat. And so when you're harvesting wheat, you would take the full husk and you would uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. We've heard that term by throwing it up into the air and, and the chaff was light and, and it, it, it was airy, and, and you'd throw it up in the threshing room floor as the wind blew, and uh, the, the heavy grains of the wheat would fall to the ground and the chaff would blow away. And so it's an amazing image that says a life that is not grounded in some form of ultimate truth ultimately blows away in the wind. And what I love about it is like the Bible's not saying, Thou shalt not make your own decisions. <laughs> the Bible is not saying, You are a bunch of robots that will do exactly what the law says doesn't say that at all. It says, make whatever decision you want. But if you're asking us, the Bible says, happy are those who are grounded. Happy are those who are grounded. Because the life of, of, of chaffiness, <laughs> if you're just a chaff stick, <laughs> the life of chaffiness, you know, that, that's fine, it says. But then the Bible says, okay, here's the test. What happens when the winds and the storms of life come? 
Where will you be? Where will you go? How will you be thrown around? How will it affect you? Where will you be thrown? And so really, uh, we see this all the time, how easily that we're, we're constantly being blown around. We're being blown around by the, the, the winds of peer pressure and by the winds of fashion and by the winds of perception and by the winds of reputation. Like All of these things will push into you in multiple points this week in ways that you don't even know that you're getting blown around. And so my question for you this morning then is this, is there anything about you in every circumstance that absolutely remains the same? I'll say that again. Is there anything about you in every circumstance that absolutely remains the same? Because if you've got that, then you are grounded. There's, there's at least a tap root. That's a good starting point. We'll talk about roots in a, in a second. But is there anything in you that's always there? Is there always an, is there always an ultimate? That's, that's perhaps the first reason for some of our, our, our constant frenetic searching for happiness. Here's the other thing that I think we need to get before we talk about how we get it. The thing with Christian contentment is contentment's actually not happiness. Some of you might know this, but happiness is an emotion. This is not what the psalm is talking about. Um, contentment is not an emotion. It's, 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 it's a state of, of being. And, and we have to understand in the way that it talks about it, and we'll see this soon, is that in Psalm 1, Christian contentment is not an end product. It's a byproduct. Christian contentment is, is not an end product, it's a byproduct. Remember those classic blesseds of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5? They're happy, happy are the people who, happy are the poor in spirit, happier, happier. And I went back and read it, and ne- never, never do I see Jesus saying, Blessed are those who seek blessedness. In other words, like, Jesus doesn't say, Happy are those who seek happiness. And yet, if we dare to look at our own lives, and the things that we're chasing, isn't that the very thing that we're often subconsciously doing? <laughs> you know, I'll talk to this a bit, the young adults about this tonight, the night service, but you, know, you look at our young adults and so often the number one thing for them is if I, if I can just have the relationship, if I can just set the career up well, then, then I'll be happy. It's chasing an end and yet Christian happiness is not an end product, it's a, it's a byproduct and, and here's why. Look, if I, if I had the Walkman again, if, if I knew I was going to get the, the Walkman again this Christmas 2020, would I feel the same joy? Would I feel the same exuberance? <laughs> would I be as over the moon as I was in that moment in 1987? Of course not. And here's, here's what I believe is the real reason why. It's because now as an adult, <laughs> um, I've, I've outgrown the capacity of a Walkman to fulfill my desires. The object that so wonderfully filled me at that point in time, no longer has the power and the capacity to fulfill my adult grown-up desires. Now, and we see this with kids all the time. Isn't it amazing how kids can get entertained with things that they just think are the best thing in the world? You you give a kid a pen and a bit of sticky tape, and I mean, like, that is their treasure for the day, right? The other day, Adele, you know, it was a, she, she found the old wrapping up from Christmas and she, she put electrical tape around the bottom and drew, uh, drew blue around the whole way up the thing and so it's now her lightsaber from Ray from Star Wars. Like, you know, it's, it's hanging up in the bedroom at the moment. It's like a bit of wrapping up paper. Um, look, if it's true for kids, let's not fool ourselves in the arc of a lifetime. It, the question is, look, if we, if we know kids outgrow the objects of their desire then what's to say that the object that you think is going to currently bring you happiness in this life has the power and the scope and the capacity to fulfil your desires in 5 or 10 or 15 years' time? 
You can write that down. And not only that, like, how do we know? <laughs> it's like, I love icing. I love icing. The kids love icing too. You notice that you get them a cupcake, that's all they eat. Paid three bucks fifty for a cupcake, and they needed icing. I mean, I could just got got some caster sugar and a little bit of water in a cup if we were going to go there, right? But they just they're obsessed with just eating icing. Like, if I eat icing for the rest of my life, I know it's not going to be good for my health. How do you know also that the object of your desire is going to be healthy and good for you in the long run? Chris, see how this is way deeper than happiness. These objects. These objects don't fully fulfill our desires, and yet we've tasted the icing. Isn't that the problem for all of us? <laughs> we've tasted it. That, that's the issue. That's why we're chasing it. That's why it's so powerful. Because we've tasted those moments. And when I ask what truly makes you happy, you know, maybe you look back on moments in life. Maybe it's when you got married. Maybe it was a birth of a child. Maybe it was a sunset somewhere. Maybe it was one of those days that was just so perfect that you felt that for that split second... Yeah, you were sitting in the presence of God himself. It was almost like heaven had come. Have you ever had any of those sorts of moments? And the cruelty of, of, of earthly happiness and what is, what is happening is that these, this taste breaks into our life in such a way that the, 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 the happiness, in, in, in the true sense of, of it all, is, is almost like fairy floss. The very act of tasting it dissolves it away. And all we're left is the aftertaste that we knew. Oh, man, we knew that was good. Where do I find that again? C.S. Lewis describes it way better than I possibly could. He said, It was a sensation, of course, of desire. But for desire for what? Before I knew what I desired, the desire itself was gone. The whole glimpse withdrawn. The world turned commonplace again. Or only stirred by a longing. A longing for the longing that had just ceased. So the, part of the reason why happiness is the way that many of the world looks for it is on one hand, it's a good thing. I, I believe the happiness and the joy that we feel often is, is that distinct moment in the now but not yetness of the kingdom in which heaven itself breaks in and touches us for a split second. As if we've brushed past God and the kingdom, we felt it, it just waft past us in our head, only to turn around not, not to see that person that we're longing for. Then it, it, It's like it's, it's right there with us. And yet we forget it, and yet we chase it knowing that we can't fully hold it. How do we know? How can we be assured that if that's the thing that we're chasing, and in fact the object that we think represents that will be either healthy for us or have the ability to fulfill our desires in the long run? We're sort of stuck. Now, you're doing really well with your homework, by the way. Well done, class. It's good. In fact, no, I've been doing your homework for you. That's what's been happening for the last... 10 minutes, because you know what we're doing is we're thinking through all this sort of stuff. Now, now we're actually come all the way to church, got in the auditorium. Now we're finally looking beneath the looking. We're starting to address what it is in the fundamental level of our hearts that's causing us to search for these things. And we understand that on one hand, yeah, there is an element of chaffiness about us where there's a weightlessness about us that in the presence of God that we sense that we're lightweights. <laughs> A sense of significance that drives our desire for reputation and perception. We, we, we sense that. We feel that. And then we also realize the problem that even if we find happiness for that moment, it eludes us. And so how do we move from happiness to contentment? And where, 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 do we, where do we go in, in all of this? And if it's any encouragement, there's been many Christians who've been there before. 
the Apostle Paul was one of them, where he said, as he was wrestling all of this, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm not saying this to you because I'm in need. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. But I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And so Paul, he's, 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 he's talking about his time in Philippi where he's there with Lydia, the, the, the fashionista entrepreneur. It's there where he's like, he'd, he'd been sitting there having shucked oysters for entree, filet mignon, you know, a lovely souffle for dessert. He's, he's done all, he's, he said, I've been there, but I've also been to the point where I'm starving and I'm hungry and I've been beaten. And in all of this, both situations teach me about contentment. Hear this, because this is where we're going to go. He says, both both teachers, and, and I, I want you to be thinking ahead of time, which, which one, which context often teaches you better about contentment? But, but he says, look, I've, I've learned the secret. The secret, first one is, it's not easily found. Not everyone gets it. And that's why we've got friends, we've got family. Heck, that's why we've got Christians who are running around chasing happiness and they're still not happy. I mean, if you want to find unhappy and grumpy people, then go to the Church of Jesus Christ and you're bound to find someone somewhere, right? You know, in fact, there's like a whole branch of theology in churches that it's almost like unless you're unhappy, you know, and unless you're grumpy and unless you're going through the grind, then you're not a proper Christian because you're not sacrificing for the Lord. You know, on the other hand, you've got, you've got the branch of Christianity that says you can't possibly be like that and unless you're always happy and always cheery, you know, then, then unless you're like that, then maybe there's a problem with your faith. Right? I call that the McDonald's Christianity. Can I help you? <laughs> right? I would suggest you know, that's, not, that's not the breeds and brands of Christianity that I see in Northsiders here. It's not the one that we would preach either. Too many of you understand hardship and suffering and too many of also have understood the sweetness of when the Holy Spirit hits you and God takes you to a place that is heavenly. Well, Paul says, I've learnt it. So that's the key. We've got to, you've got to learn this. <laughs> Just... God doesn't zap you with the Holy Spirit in order to be content. It's, it's not like some appetite that he, he just gives you the vaccination or it doesn't give you like the Nicorette patch for happiness by the Holy Spirit on there that just stops the craving. Okay? He says, I have to learn this. I have to go through the grind of all of this. That's why the psalmist says, we're going back to the Old Testament now. Uh, but those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night, they are like a tree planted by streams of water. So here's the thing. The first thing you've got to do if you want to learn the secret of contentment the way that Paul does is when you're in those moments of hardship, you've got to go digging. You've got to go digging. He says those who meditate on the law. Psalm 1 is the beginning of a, of a whole book of the Bible. There's a whole bunch of prayers, but Psalm 1 is actually not a prayer. It's talking about meditation. And meditation is absolutely vital and meditation is different from prayer. And when I say meditation, I'm not talking about what we do wonderfully on Thursdays down here when it's quiet and we say Maranatha over and over and over again. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the very deliberate practice of taking the Word of God and taking what you cognit- cognitively know of the Word of God and working it into your heart. That's what the meditation that the psalm is talking about. And in fact, like, think upon the image of this tree by, uh, by the water. Think about what it's doing. Think of the image of the tree. It's, 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 it's digging deep. It's, it's, it's putting its taproot down in possibly, quite possibly an arid desert situation by a river so that it taps into a subterranean source of life and water. 
And that takes effort and it takes discipline. I know that because I know in my own life, whenever there is doubt, whenever I'm facing hardship, whenever I'm questioning what the heck God is doing, whenever I'm feeling spiritually dry, I've got to go digging. And, it, and it's hard work. But the, the beauty of Christian meditation in that way, when you take it and you work it into your heart, when you take it and say, okay, I'm going to allow this truth, by the way, grounded, this truth, this ultimate truth, and I'm going to work it into my heart so it affects my behavior and my emotions and the, and the rest of it, it's changing me. And that's exactly the image that we've got here. You know, it says a tree planted by a stream. It doesn't say, it doesn't say a well pipe planted by a stream of living water. Hear the difference? You know, if, if it was just a pipe, what would happen? You'd just suck up the water and spit water back out the other end. You know, and again, frankly, a, a lot of Christians do that. You know, they just suck up the word of God and they spit it back out at you. And it's not processed in here, right? But, but look at what happens in the dynamic of, of that image. It, the tree draws upon the water, meditates on it, processes it. In other, in other words, and this is not a real word, so write me the email later. Um, it fleshizes it, right? It fleshizes the water. In, in other words, it, it takes it's something and it, it, puts, it puts flesh on the word. It makes it applicable for you. The same word, the same word that's given to everyone else in your community group, totally different from you in the way that you put it, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, because he's growing you and you're working in this. You've got to go digging. You've got to go digging. And there's no way around that, by the way. In fact, it's often the last thing that we want to do when we're not happy, particularly when we're not happy with God. But you've got to go digging. And then just the second one, only two points this morning, 30% off. Um, verse 3 they're like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season underline that I already have and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do they prosper now the first way that we can read this is in a really naive sort of way when we see that that can sound very much like that type of theology that just says you know uh, believe in God and whatever you do will prosper and it can't possibly be that because we've just come out of the tree analogy, okay? You've, your flesh is rising. This, this is the promise. This is the promise to you. If you've dug your taproot into the truth of God and God's word in the situations of hardship, this is the promise that will come to you. Not only do you go digging, but then here's the promise. You've got to go looking for the growth even in the seasons of fruitlessness. You go looking for growth even in seasons of fruitlessness. Now, how, how real is the Bible? The Bible's saying when you are planted in God, you become a person that not only survives the hardship and the drought, you not only survive it, but you grow through it. And you see this time and time and time again. You know, Paul's talked about ways in which uh, all sorts of sufferings and hardships that he went through, he had to go through in order that the gospel might be preached. And then he says miraculously in 1 Corinthians, somewhere there where he says, you know, this, this very hardship and, and difficulties are saving me. It's my salvation. It's growing me. It's shifting me. It's changing me. You've got to look for the seasons of fruitless and fruitlessness and ask, is there growth in all of this for me? Because the tree planted by the river in the desert, it's the tree that is always an evergreen. There's always life. And, and haven't, haven't you seen this in church life? And this is what I love about the fact that we do community. This is why it's so vital that we're, we're in life together so you can witness this. You don't get this just on a Sunday. But you guys have seen this, Northsiders. Haven't, haven't, 
you've, you've seen these evergreens around here and they're so obvious because they're the people that you know and love or you have a conversation with, a coffee after the service. And they're going through all sorts of hardship. There's financial distress. They've lost a loved one. They've got cancer. You know, and they're, they're the people that in the midst of it, and you've, have you met Christians like this? They're the people that in the midst of all of this who should be dejected and down and out and over and out are the ones that are at the least calm. They're the ones even more miraculously have a beautiful and authentic joy about them and you watch them and you see them and go, how is that possible? That's the promise of what happens when you flesh his eyes, eyes the word and, and, and you, you, you become planted in God that no matter what circumstances you're in, it, it is possible because we've seen these lives here. You're in front of me, I've seen it. To be the sort of people that are evergreen. You're alive, it doesn't kill you. Key point though, <laughs> evergreens aren't always bearing fruit. This is really important to understand as well. Because what I love about the reality of the Bible as well that it's saying here is uh, like trees by planted by a stream, they, they bear fruit, but, but they don't bear fruit in every season. Remember I told you to underline it, in season, in season. So it means periods of cyclical fruitlessness in your life is absolutely to be expected in the Christian life, and that's okay. Sometimes, and you know, Life, and you've heard me say it before, and you can write me the email, but it is what it is. Life is just a conjunction of crap. <laughs> and that's okay. Look for the growth. Look for the growth. That's the resource that's available to us, and you've heard me say that before. A Christian, because they're planning in God, has this resource in the middle of their hardship. Instead of crying out, why is this happening to me? Notice emphasis on why. A Christian says, why is this happening to me? Emphasis on me. In other words, Lord, if I'm planted in you, I dare to believe in faith that there is something that you can be doing, using, showing me in the middle of this hardship that is growing me. And man, does this, my situation seem absolutely fruitless at the moment. Man, it feels like a desert at the moment. But I'm planted in you and I dare to believe that I can grow. We've seen that. Now, I asked you as we finished this morning to think about it because this is my wrestle in all of this. Like, on one hand, we, we see happiness for what it is. It, it, it dissolves so easily. Then we also uh, come, come to realise that it's something that has to be learned. <laughs> then we have to be planted in order to get it. We have to go digging, even when we don't want to go digging. Then we have to flesh his eyes the word and, and, and allow that to be processed within us. Here's, here's the wrestle that I go through and I ask you the question, in which context do you learn the best? In plenty or in need? And I, I can't escape the reality that what I see in so many of your lives and the things that you have been through as your pastor is that, that often it is these moments of dryness and of hardship and of suffering and of pain and of loss in which we grow the most. In fact, dare I say, for many of us, we don't even begin to grow. We don't even begin to live out these principles until the conditions around us start to get so dry that we've got no choice but to look for the subterranean water. Part of our problem in our society is that you know, it's just been constantly raining. I call it shallow root syndrome. It's what, the, it's what the nursery told me when we put buffalo down in the backyard at the manse. They said, for heaven's sake, don't overwater your grass. So biblical. <laughs> 
And the whole reason why, 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 can't, I, why can't I water the grass? Now, well, if, if, if you do it, if, if you water it too much, it's just going to be used to water on the surface the whole time and it won't put its roots down deep. On one hand, we've got to deal with the reality that the hardships of life will come. That's inevitable. But friend, we, we live with the deep promise that even in the midst of that, if we're planted in him and we've seen it in the lives of people in this place, we are people who not only will survive, but we are people who grow. that we know that we are the people of the now but not yet, that we'd said it just last week, that Barry said all of life is just one big liminal moment. Of course there's going to be pain and suffering and hardship and yet at the same time the promise that we have in tasting the things that we taste is that when we get to heaven you get as much fairy floss as you want. <laughs> and not only does it not dissolve, when we, when we get to heaven the taste and the scope and the size of the joy of tasting that fairy floss not only begins here, but it, it increases exponentially for all of eternity. Have you ever considered that? We think we just get to heaven in order to get our fill. Ah, oh, that was a good meal. I waited for that for 80 years. Ah, uh, so that's good now. I'm glad we worked out the first meal, Jesus. No. He says the joy that you are yearning for, the joy that haunts you, It's the very thing that will start your beginning in eternity and it will exponentially grow forever. That is the promise that you and I hold to. And it's what makes it so alluring and attractive in the first place. But we have to see it for what it is. And so as you're making your resolutions this year, as you go out for brunch, you have lunch with friends, as you sit down with the diaries today, as you do your ironing tonight, getting ready to get into another new year 2020, I'm just asking, what is it that you're looking for? What do you really want? What do you really want? What's, what's the searching beneath the searching? What's the looking beneath the looking as we come to the table this morning? We're going to take communion. And this is going to be our reminder in this moment. Here's what I want us to do. I, I, I want us to take the bread and the cup and I want us to say silently amongst ourselves, Jesus, you're my ultimate walkman. And what I mean by that is that, that only in him, and this is the truth, of what we're about to do this morning, only in him do we have an object of desire that we can never outgrow. <laughs> that's, that's a promise for you too, by the way, if you're a Christian. If you don't know him yet, Jesus says, like, just start with a little bit of me. D- d- just start and, and I, I will progressively open up my life to the degree that you're willing to open up yours. In Jesus Christ, we have someone in God. The Westminster Catechism said, you know, the chief end of a person is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It means by the Holy Spirit as he connects us to God in this moment. We come to recognize that the object of our affection as followers of Jesus, will, it, will, it will never be outgrown. That our problem is never really information, it's revelation, it's experience. That by his Holy Spirit, we, we, we just need more of him in this moment. And so may we do that as we take the bread and the cup this morning as we take communion. If you're not yet a Christian, if you've been burnt by the church, hurt by the church, uh, I hope that you see past us and to him this morning. I hope you stay long enough to see Jesus for who he is this morning. I hope you stay long enough to see the realities of the resource. I hope you stay long enough and close enough to maybe come in contact with some of the lives around this place over a coffee or in a community group to prove you, prove to you that what I've been talking about really works this morning. Let's pray. Father, there are people in this room that I want to pray for first that are going through all sorts of hardship. And frankly, Father, maybe for them, enduring 
20-something minutes of my words is more than enough at the moment. And Father, um, I would ask that in this moment of silence and reflection and focus upon you, you would give to them what they need. If it be strength in weakness, Father, would you grant them that? If it be comfort in pain or loss, would you grant them that, Lord? I pray for all of us, Father, that wherever we might be in our life situations at the moment, that in the quietness and the uniqueness of this space, that for those of us that are followers of you, that taproots would be sunk ever deeper into you, into this moment. That somehow supernaturally, beyond the realities of our thoughts and our minds and our emotions, which are all part of who you've created us to be, that supernaturally, Father, you would break into us, that there would be an, a reality other than our reality for us this morning, that we might truly experience you. Lord, be with us now as we commune with you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.